Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our The Time Is Now series, which walks through the book of Nehemiah. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, Nehemiah chapter 13 today, and uh, I know you've been there. I know you've been there. But have you ever had a bad taste in your mouth that you just could not get rid of? You ever had that happen? Uh, maybe you're the person who, um, who drank spoiled milk. How many of you have done that? You've drank spoiled milk. Uh, how many of you are cereal lovers? You like cereal? I'm a cereal lover. Robert Elliott is probably the biggest cereal lover that I know. Uh, do you still have a bowl at night, every night, just about? Just about every night, Robert has a bowl of cereal before bed, and, uh, and I will leave the comments all alone right there. Uh, but you know what? I love cereal. I, I don't know about you, but have you ever poured a bowl of cereal, and you know, it's, it's like the end of the box, and you pour it, and then you pour the milk, and then you take a bite, and you're like, ah. Oh. And you grab the milk carton, and sure enough, you know, it's like a week old or two weeks old or a month. Some of you are like, that would never happen in my fridge. Kids are apparently not in your house because uh, that happens, you know, all the time. You get a bad taste in your mouth. Hannah, a few years ago, she tells the story often. Of course, many of you know that Hannah, she's an artist and paints a lot. And uh, she always keeps her, her, uh, her uh, paintbrushes in little cups right by where she's painting and puts, you know, water in there and, you know, rinses them out and everything. And she always, always as she's painting, uh, almost always has a cup of coffee as well sitting there. And there's been plenty of times where her, her uh, uh, paint cup didn't have any paintbrushes in it and she's grabbed the paint cup and gone, oh, oh, and looked and she's drinking out of the, uh, the paint water. My, uh, my mom and my sister, my oldest sister, Dawn, uh, they do not like coffee. And I used to not like coffee, and then I married Hannah, who loves coffee. And so now I, uh, I very much appreciate coffee. Um, three or four or five cups a day would be great for me. <laughs> And uh, some of you think I'm kidding. I'm, I'm not. Um, but I, I try to break off at about three. But my mom and my sister, they hate coffee. And um, every now and then, every now and then it works out well where I have my coffee, but they don't know that it's coffee. And so I say to my mom, hey, I got this really good drink. It's a really good drink. Do you want to try it? And she'll go, is it coffee? And I'm like, well, it has some coffee in it, but mom, you'll really like this one. You'll really like it. And I can't tell you how many times my mom's fallen for that line. <laughs> and she'll go, oh, okay, I'm, I'm trusting you. <laughs> Poor move. But anyway, <laughs> and she'll get that cup, she'll get that cup, and she'll go, oh, oh, oh. Uh. Ah, ah, and she, and many of you know how animated my mom can be, and she, I mean, right now, she's grimacing, even, even thinking about taking a sip of coffee, and uh, man, you get it, when you get a bad taste in your mouth, when you get a bad taste in your mouth, it is, it's something hard to get out. Maybe it's a food you don't like, or a spoiled milk you've drank, or a drink that you don't prefer, and it takes a while to get that bad taste out of your mouth. You know, in life, 
in life, every one of us, we've spent time around people who left a bad taste. People who left a bad taste, not necessarily in, in flavor. <laughs> Hopefully you're not going around licking arms. <laughs> but people who have left a, a bad taste in your soul. You ever been around somebody like that? That it, it, It's the type of person that you see them coming and you think, I've really got to go. You see them coming and you think, how can I get out of this conversation? You see them coming and you think, okay, don't ask, how are you? Don't ask, how are you? And you're going through that in your mind. Well, well why, why would you think that? It's because many times we can be around people that leave a bad taste in our soul. But before we're quick to think of those people, the truth is this morning that many of us can be that person that leave a bad taste in someone else's life. As we come to Nehemiah 13 and we're wrapping up our series, I just want to ask you a question today. And that question is the question that is the, the title of today's message. And the question is, how, how will you be remembered? How will you be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? And if we're honest, if we're honest this morning, we probably hear a question like that. And we are like a pastor friend of mine who he asked me, hey, what are you preaching? And I said, I'm preaching Nehemiah 13. How will you be remembered? And his very first statement was, oh, that's good. Legacy. Legacy. When we hear a question like this, we think, how will you be remembered after you die? That's what a lot of us think. You hear a question like that, you think, are you talking, all right, how will I be remembered after I die? And, and we are going to address that this morning a little bit. But more importantly, I want us to understand that each and every week, you and I, we are leaving influence behind us. Each and every week, with every conversation we have, and with every, every interaction we have, and with every uh, classmate, and every friend from the neighborhood, and with every uh, neighbor, and with every relative, and with every person that lives within our house, whether you're, you're married or not, or have family at home or don't, with every person that you and I know, we are going to leave influence this coming week. You left influence this last week, and you and I are going to leave influence this coming week. Can I say it this way? We're going to leave a taste. We're going to leave a, a feeling within someone's life. And this morning, I want to ask you a question. How do you want to be remembered next Sunday, looking back on the first week of June? Can you believe we're at June already? Man, we're at the first week of June already. Next week, looking back on June 6th, as you look back over the last seven days, how do you want to be remembered? Nehemiah 13, of course, we know the story. If you've been with us, this is the 13th message in our series and, and the last one. I'm excited about next week. We're starting a brand new study in the book of 1 Corinthians called In the World, Not of the World. It will be a huge help to us, and I think we're going to be there for quite a while, uh, but it's going to be a help. But this morning, Nehemiah 13, we're wrapping up the study, and you know we started it. Uh, we started it a few weeks ago, really a few months ago. I think we started it the um, I think the second week of January is when we started our series. And if you remember, 
If you remember, we, we started learning about Nehemiah, this Hebrew man who was the king's cupbearer in Shushan or Susa. Uh, of course, we know the Hebrew people, they were living under captivity of the Media Persian Empire. And, and Nehemiah, he was one that although he was Hebrew, he was never raised in Jerusalem. He was never raised in the land of the Hebrews because there, there really was no nation of Israel at this time. And Nehemiah, he began to get a, a great burden for his hometown of Jerusalem. Well, why was he burdened? Well, he was burdened because his brother Hanani had traveled 850 miles from Susa all the way to Jerusalem, and he had seen what was taking place in Jerusalem and came back and reported it to Nehemiah. And the report was this. The report was this. Hey, Nehemiah, things don't look good. The city walls are broken down. The gates are burned. The, the people, they're suffering affliction. They're actually a reproach to the very name of God. And Nehemiah, he began to get burdened. And he began for four months to pray, God, what can I do? And God placed it on Nehemiah's heart to, uh, to even present this to the king. And of course, Nehemiah looking for opportunity, God opened the door and Nehemiah was able to stand before the king. And the king said, I, I sense sadness in your heart. And this is nothing but sadness of soul. This is nothing but heartbreak. Nehemiah, what is going on in your life? And Nehemiah says, how can I not be sad when my, the land of my heritage, the land of my fathers, when, when Jerusalem, the walls are broken, down and the gates are burned and the people are in a affliction and reproach. How could that not be heartbreaking to somebody? And the king asks him a question. All right, Nehemiah, what's your request? And Nehemiah, I imagine, is thinking, man, God, you just presented a great opportunity. And Nehemiah says, king, it's actually my request would be that I could go back to Jerusalem and help them build the wall. And the king not only gave him permission to leave and go help rebuild the wall, but he also sent letters of permission. He also sent building materials. And then he sent a military entourage to escort Nehemiah all the way back. And you go, a great theme verse for the entire book of Nehemiah is Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse number 8. And you can go, and what Nehemiah basically says is the king granted me according to the good hand of my God. You know, Nehemiah recognized, man, God was all over this. And so Nehemiah, he travels those 850 miles from Susa to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, man, they begin building. And you have this cupbearer, this cupbearer that becomes general contractor for the city of God. And this cupbearer who became general contractor oversaw 52 days of an incredible building program. And we're going to be building in a, in a few, hopefully a few months, we can get some things going over there. Uh, wouldn't it be great if we were done in 52 days? <laughs> but we're not just building the wall. You know what? When you think about this, 52 days, they built under opposition. They built under scrutiny. They built from, uh, in, in um, opposition of not only people without, but people within who were, who were having a bad spirit and not building alongside them. I mean, they faced a lot of challenges as they built, and yet Nehemiah chapter 6 reads that after 52 days, the wall is built. Well, the wall is built. Nehemiah now turns and helps the people understand it was never about the wall. It was about you. You see, because God is interested not just in buildings, God is interested in people. And that's the whole book of Nehemiah. Don't let somebody tell you, well, Nehemiah is about a wall. No, Nehemiah is about people. 
It's about God pursuing people. And so what does Nehemiah and Ezra do? Man, they begin to encourage the people back toward God. And the people, uh, Nehemiah chapter 10, they literally make a covenant with God saying, God, if your word says it, we are following your word. God, we are all in. And because of that, you can go to Nehemiah chapter 12, where we had a couple weeks ago, and you find that they had a great celebration and a dedication to the Lord, saying, God, we did all of this for you. We want to glorify your name. And God, we just want your name to be honored. And there was a great joy in that city. And Nehemiah chapter 12, I believe verse number 43, says that that joy was so great that it echoed through the valleys. And people heard what was going on in Jerusalem and wanted to be a part of it. But last week, last week, I don't know about you, but we would be heartbroken to know what had taken place. Well, what had taken place? Well, remember Nehemiah, he had said to the king, I'll be in Jerusalem for a set amount of time. That set time was 12 years. All right, how long was that set time? How long was it? All right, it was 12 years. 12 years Nehemiah was supposed to be there. And after that set time, Nehemiah traveled back to Shushan or Susa to report to the king. Traveled back, reported to the king, and he was gone for probably, probably two to three years. Nehemiah was gone from Jerusalem. He gets back to Jerusalem, and do you remember what we found out last week? We found out last week what had taken place. Eliashib, during those two and a half years, Eliashib had literally gone into the house of God, the temple, had cleared out one of the, one of the rooms that was supposed to be a, a storeroom for the offerings to, pray, to pay the Levite singers and porters, the door guards. And Eliashib went in, cleaned it all out, and then invited Tobiah the Ammonite to move in. Now, if you weren't here last week, you're thinking, well... Who cares? What does that mean? God had told the people to separate, his people to separate from those that did not believe in him, to separate from the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Ashdodites and the different ites. God said, hey, if they're not going to believe in me, separate from them. And yet here you have Eliashib, the priest, who's supposed to be religiously and uh, leading people to the Lord in a relationship. You have that very man inviting the enemy to live within the gates. And not only within the gates, but in the very temple where worship of God is supposed to take place. Well, there was a domino effect. Those of you that were here last week, remember the domino effect? Because that one decision, it didn't just affect that one room. No, that one decision affected the Levites. Now the Levites can't get paid. The singers can't get paid. The doorkeepers can't get paid. And so Eliashib sends them all home. Hey, we don't have any offering. We, don't, we're, we cleared out the storehouse where the offerings go. We don't have anything to pay you. Go home. And then told the people, hey, you can stop giving because we don't need to pay anybody anymore. So you don't have to give to the Lord. And then before you know it, the people, they're working on Sabbath. And then before you know it, the people are not only welcoming the enemy within the gates, they're intermarrying into their families. And, and now you find Nehemiah chapter 13, by the end of the chapter, by the end of the chapter, it's, as almost, it's almost as if the people had literally said, God, we know what we committed to you, but we take it all back. Did you ever make those trades when you were a kid? Hey, you make that trade and you tell your friend, no take backs, 
No take backs. I'm, you know, I'm giving for us. It was it was uh, cards, baseball cards, and football cards, and basketball cards, and and you give them a card. Now, I'm giving you this card, and you're giving me that card, and hopefully you got the better end. But anyway, I'm gonna. I'm now no take backs. But sure enough, you always know what happened. <sighs> I need my card back. Why? My dad told me I couldn't make that trade. It was unfair to you. Well, why was it unfair? Because you were giving me a Larry Bird card and I was giving you a Robert Pack card and nobody knows who Robert Pack is, but everybody knows who Larry Bird is, so we gotta make the trade back. (laughs) Man, trade back, take it back. You know what? That's what the children of Israel were doing. They were saying, God, we know we committed, but we took it back. But when, when Nehemiah got back, when Nehemiah got back from his two and a half years, he discovered all of this had taken place. And the very first thing he did is says, hey, uh, hey, Tobiah, you better get your stuff out because I'm going in. And he goes in and he clears out all of Tobiah's stuff, throws it all out. And then he restores the offerings, restores the Levites and everything that Eliashib and those people had done, Nehemiah restores completely. That brings us to where we're at today. And so I want you to stand with me, if you would. We're going to read three verses, three verses this morning. We'll go through a lot, but three verses to start. <clears throat> and in Nehemiah chapter number 13, verse number 29. Nehemiah 13, verse 29, this is Nehemiah praying, and he says this. Remember them, O my God. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Then are thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priest and the Levites and everyone in his business and for the wood offering at times appointed and for the first fruits. And notice the last phrase of verse 31. Remember me, O my God, for good. Remember me, O my God, for good. Nehemiah's prayer was, God, remember them for what they have done, but God, remember me for good. I ask you our question this morning, how do you want to be remembered? This next Sunday, how will you look back at the week and be remembered? I want to learn something about that today, and hopefully we'll leave with the answer of, I want to be remembered for the good of God. I think it'll be a help to us. Let's pray and get right into his word. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that you would give me clarity of thought as we read the passages before us, as we cover the chapter. I pray, Lord, that you would just give me your wisdom. I pray that if there's someone here that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, God, I pray that you'd help them today to come to know you as Savior. And Father, we thank you for what you're going to do this morning. We thank you for how you're going to speak, and we pray that you would just help us to hear, every one of us to hear specifically what you want us to hear. We love you. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As you come to Nehemiah 13, you find Nehemiah taking action against the people of Israel and their errant decisions. But as Nehemiah takes takes action against the people of Israel, he's able to pray a prayer. And the prayer he is able to pray is, God, remember what I'm doing. God, remember what I'm doing. I think many times people who follow God 
probably would admit that there are times that we would actually pray, God, please don't remember what I'm doing. God, please don't take note of what I'm doing. And yet, here is Nehemiah saying, God, everything I'm doing is open and before you. I invite the memory of God into my life. What a bold prayer request. God, I invite you to take sight on every single thing I'm doing because God, it is all for you. I want us to see this morning that when you come to Nehemiah 13, verse 31, what Nehemiah prays, remember me, oh my God, for good. This is not the only time that Nehemiah prays this within the chapter. And there's a few ways that are a few things that I believe Nehemiah was wanting to be remembered for before the Lord this morning. And I want you to notice them with me. Remember, Nehemiah comes back from two and a half years gone. All of those things have taken place. The Levites, porters, and singers are out of the temple. The people are not giving. The Sabbath is not being honored. They are intermarrying with those that are unbelievers. And we see all of this taking place. Nehemiah comes back and he begins to set one by one back in order. And after every time, he says, God, remember this. Well, what did, what, what did Nehemiah want to be remembered for? I noticed, first of all, today, Nehemiah wanted to be remembered for loving the worship of God. Nehemiah wanted to be remembered for loving the worship of God and the house of God. Now, remember, <clears throat> Tobiah is living in the house. People aren't coming to them. When we say house, we're talking about the temple, the let's say church, just to kind of get it in our language, our mindset. Uh, Tobiah, the enemy, is living within the church, and the people aren't gathering. The people aren't giving. The people aren't serving. The people aren't worshiping. Notice it with me, Nehemiah chapter 13, verse number 10. And I perceived, I, I figured it out, Nehemiah says, that the portions of the Levites, their paychecks had not been given to them. Because the Levites and the singers that did the work, every one of them, they were fled to his own field. Then contended I with the rulers. I went to the leaders and I said, why is the house of God forsaken? Hey, hey, do you realize what you guys have done? You have literally walked away from the house of God. And so what did I, what did I do? Nehemiah says, I, I gathered them together. And I set them in their place, the Levites, the singers, and the porters. Then brought all, the, uh, all Judah, the tithe of the corn, and the new wine, and the oil into the treasuries. And I made treasurers over the treasuries, uh, Shalimah, or Shelemiah, the, the priest, and Zadok, the scribe, and of the Levites, Padiah. And next unto them was Hanan, the son of Zakur, the son of Madaniah, for they were counted faithful, and their office was to distribute unto their brethren. And notice what Nehemiah prays in verse 14. Remember me, O my God, concerning this. And wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. When Nehemiah gets back into town and discovers all that had taken place with Tobiah and with Eliashib, he, he perceives that the, those who served in the house of God, they weren't being paid because the people weren't giving. And he perceives that the worship is not taking place. And so what does he do? He contends with the ruler, with the rulers, the leadership. Well, what's the word contend mean? The word's contended. It means to rebuke and withstand or rebuke and withstood. He, he rebuked the leaders and withstood them. What's that mean? Man, he just called them out. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, 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 don't you remember? Hey, you're going back on the very covenant that you made. And he's going back and reminding them, perhaps, of Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 39. 
This is what the people said. And the rulers in Nehemiah 10, 39, they said, we will not forsake the house of our God. Hey, we make a covenant with you, God. We will not forsake your house. And yet here we are 14 years later, 15 years later. And Nehemiah is contending with them, withstanding them to their face. Hey, hey, you said, you wouldn't forsake the house of God, and yet look at what you're doing. Why have you forsaken the house of God? So what does he do? He calls them all out on their sin, and then he gathers the Levites, the singers, the porters, and puts them back in their office, and he gathers the offerings from the people again and tells all the people, all right, bring your offerings back. Let's get things rolling. Let's get things going the way they need to be going again. He puts faithful followers into the the charge of God's house. You know what he does? Nehemiah realizes that worship is not taking place. Man, the worship of God was a big thing, and and still to this day, worship of God is a big thing. Did you know that, that worship of God is not just something that happens during a singing time in a service? Unfortunately, that, that phrase, worship service, has been hijacked by, uh, by uh, modern-day thinking. And so many people look and they go, oh, well, well, the worship part of the service is just the singing part. No, 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 no. No, the worship part of your service and my service to the Lord is also on Wednesday when you go to work. Well, what should I be doing? I should be worshiping the Lord with my life. What does the word worship mean? It means ascribing worth to. It means pointing to something and saying that is valuable. I should live my life in such a way that my life points to God and says he is valuable. Do we worship God through songs during the music service? Yes, we do. But we also worship God when we give in the offering. We also worship God when we tune in to the preaching. We also worship God when we serve in a ministry. Listen, you know what Nehemiah was concerned about? He was concerned about worship. Why? Because if God is not being worshiped, nothing matters. Hey, listen, if we come, listen, if we come to church, if we come to his house and we gather, but his name isn't worshiped, it's for naught. And Nehemiah understood that. Hey, Eliashib, you guys may be doing, trying to do some good things, but God's name is not being worshipped. His name is not being uh, worshipped. He is not being ascribed any worth to. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to put faithful men. I want you to see that. I, we'll get to some other thoughts in just a second, but I want you to put, Nehemiah says, I'm, we're going to put faithful men in charge of things. You know what God does? God always blesses the characteristic of faithfulness. You know what Christianity needs today? It needs some faithful people. Proverbs 26, 20, verse 6. It says, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. What's that mean? Everybody brags on themselves. Everybody likes to say how good they are. But the question asked is, but a faithful man, who can find? Hey, a lot of people talk a good game, but where's the people who back up that talk? You know, Nehemiah looked in the house of worship. He looked in the house of God and he said, listen, worship is not taking place. The house of God is being neglected. I'm putting faithful men in there. And then he prays, God, remember me as one who loved your house and the worship of your name. 
You see that in verse number 14? Oh my God, remember me, oh my God, concerning this and wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God. God, I did all of this for your name, for your house, and for your worship. I see this morning that, Lee, that Nehemiah wanted to be known and wanted to be remembered for loving the worship of God. I wonder, could you pray that? Could you pray, God, remember me for loving the worship of you? God, remember me for loving your house. Can you pray that? Can you, do you want to be known for that? Do you want to be known for as one who loved ascribing worth to him? I see Nehemiah coming before the Lord and saying, God, remember me for loving the worship of you. But also this morning, I see Nehemiah coming and saying, God, remember me for loving the people of God. Remember me for loving the worship of God, but remember me for loving the people of God. <clears throat> Verse number 15. Let's continue. In those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading asses also, as also wine, grapes, and figs and all manner of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them. In the day wherein they sold victuals, I'm going to stop right there for time's sake. But if you were to go through verse number 15 down through verse number 22, you'll find that Nehemiah comes in and he discovers not only had they forsaken the house of God and the temple and the worship of God, but because of this, they had forsaken the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was a big day for the people of God. And he comes in, Nehemiah does, and he notices the people they're buying and they're selling and they're trading and they're working all on the Sabbath. And God had already given them an intense warning against working and doing all of this on the Sabbath. And, and more than that, the men of Tyre, Tyre uh, men from Syria, they, those who did not believe in God, they were coming in and the people of God were trading with the enemy on the Sabbath. And so Nehemiah, he does some things. Verse 17, uh, it says, then I contended with the nobles of Judah. You can go and look at that. I think I have, I'm just gonna scroll through verses here because I don't wanna um, do that. But look at, look at your Bibles, verse number 13, or verse number 17, you can see it with me. Here's what Nehemiah does. It says, then I contended with the nobles of Judah and I said unto them, what evil thing is this that you do and profane the Sabbath day? Hey, what are you doing profaning? What are you doing uh, disrespecting the Sabbath day? Don't you remember? Verse number 18. Verse number 18, he goes on and he says, Did not your fathers thus and did not God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Hey, hey, don't you remember where all of, all of uh, our uh, uh, enemies coming in and all of the judgment of God? Don't you remember where that began? It began when we stopped the Sabbath. What was the Sabbath supposed to be? We don't have time this morning to really go to uh, maybe the book of Exodus or the book of Leviticus and discover a lot about the Sabbath, but basically I'll say it this way. The Sabbath was to be a day that reminded the people of their dependence upon God. That's what the Sabbath was supposed to be. A day that reminded the people, hey, 
as you work and as you go through life and as you do and, and serve and trade and buy and sell, you need to remember that your ability to do that is from God and God alone. And so have a day a week where you don't do those things and you just focus your heart completely upon God. It was about remembering who God was. But the day was also established for the people to remember their relationship with God. Don't miss that about the Sabbath day. Not only was it to be a day of rest, but it was to be a day where the people would reflect upon how good God was to them, how God provided for them, how God protected them, how God continued to guide them. That's what the Sabbath day was supposed to be. Nehemiah comes and he finds this is not taking place and he asks, what are you doing? You haven't learned from history. You haven't learned from your fathers. I mean, what, what in the world are you thinking to be trading and buying and selling and doing all this on the Sabbath? And so you know what he does is he takes the vendors, those men from Tyre that were doing all of this and really kind of pushing this along with the people and he kicks them out of the city. But you know what they kept doing? The people kept going out of the gate outside of the city on Sabbath and trading and buying and selling, and they just weren't getting it. And you can go and you can read the passage, and I would encourage you to do it later, but literally Nehemiah goes out to the vendors and he chases them away. And he tells them, I don't want you camping without the wall. You're not getting it. We are no longer going to be buying and selling and trading on the Sabbath day. And here's his threat. If you come back, I'm gonna knock you out. You say, seriously? He said that? Go read the passage. He's like, if you come back, I'm going to lay hands on you. And he's not talking about I'm going to pray for you. He's like, listen, this is a big day. And you need to understand that this is God's day for the people of God to remember their relationship with God. And we are not going to forsake it. And then he prays the prayer that we read in verse 22. When he says, remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. You know, Nehemiah was praying, Nehemiah was praying, praying, God, I know that if the people are not recognizing Sabbath, they're not experiencing the relationship that you want with them. And God, I'm praying that you would remember me concerning all of the action I took to restore Sabbath. Because God, I'm doing this. I want to be remembered for loving your people. I wonder this morning, are you one that can and wants to be remembered for loving the people of God? Do you care about helping others around you grow in their relationship to God? You see, Nehemiah's concern was you guys are forsaking the Sabbath, but more importantly, you are forgetting your relationship with God. And his goal was to help them not only restore the Sabbath, but grow toward God. I wonder, is it a concern that your family and that your friends and that uh, uh, people around you would have a closer relationship with God. Are you able to say, God, remember me as one who loved your people and desired for them to be right with you? God, remember me. Not, not only remember me for restoring your worship and loving the worship of God, but God, remember me for loving your people. 
Then I see thirdly and lastly today, Nehemiah not only wanted to be remembered for loving the worship of God and the people of God, but he wanted to be remembered for loving the cause of God. He wanted to be remembered for loving the cause of God. In verse 13, or excuse me, verse number 23, all the way down through verse number 31, what you find taking place is that the people of Israel, they were intermarrying with those who did not follow the Lord. And because of this, and I'd encourage you, go read this on your own time. Don't just take my word for it. Because of this, the pagan cultures of the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Ashdodites. Okay, go to verse number 23 just to read this thought. In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And notice the next phrase when it says, and their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. What this is referring to, and again, we don't have the time. Really, I could preach a whole message on each one of these points, but we don't want to do that. Unless you just want to be here for another, like, uh, two hours. No? Okay. I just wonder if we had any takers. You know what? When you look at this, what was going on? Well, they were intermarrying with people from different lands. And here's what was happening. When it says that the children could not speak the language of the Jews, basically what you can gather from that is the mothers... Okay, the mothers, uh, those from Ammon and uh, Moab and Ashdodites, they were raising the kids. And because they were raising the kids, which moms, you should be influential in your kids, but the dads were not around at all. Okay, Malachi. Malachi is a contemporary. It means the same time of Nehemiah. This is so, okay, this is just too cool. We're just gonna talk. Can we just talk for a minute and do a little Bible study because it's too awesome. Go read the book of Malachi today. It's only like three chapters. And if you wanna know what was happening in Nehemiah 13, go read Malachi because Malachi was preaching to the people during Nehemiah 13. Malachi would have been one of the prophets at the time, many scholars believe, if, if not right at that time, right around that time. And you know what Nehemiah or what Malachi said? Malachi said, the hearts of the fathers have turned away from the children and the hearts of the children have turned away from the fathers. And so I am prophesying to you that one day a Messiah will come and he will turn the hearts of the fathers toward the children and the hearts of the children towards the fathers. Why, why would Malachi write that? Why would Nehemiah bring light upon in verse number 23 that the Ashdodites, Moabites, and Ammonites were all intermarrying? It's because when the mom was raising the kids and the dad had forsaken them, mom was now teaching the kids about all of her false gods and all of the gods of her land and the gods of the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites. And now God, Jehovah God, was being completely forgotten about. He was being completely forsaken. That's what we read taking place here. You don't go read Malachi and you'll be like, wow, that is absolutely incredible. And Nehemiah, he called it. He's like, hey, what are you doing? Hey, why are you intermarrying? Why are you allowing this to take place? And this is still in the Bible. You know what he does? He starts beating people up. You're like, seriously? Yes. Yeah, he starts calling down God's curses upon them. Verse number 24, it says, I cursed them. He's not talking like I swore at them. He's like, I called down God's curses. I was like, listen, God is going to curse you because, and begins quoting from Leviticus or from Deuteronomy and calling it down. And then he's like, and if any of you want to go, let's go right here. 
And he literally fought over this. Now, some are like, oh my goodness. I can't believe he would do that. Do you know why he did it? He loved God so much, he was willing to stand up for the cause of God at any cost. And his whole thing was, you are not going to tear down the testimony and the cause of God. It was this phrase, over my dead body. It was that phrase, over my dead body. Do you think, it, do you think listen, do you think the cause of God meant something to Nehemiah? I think it meant something to him. It meant something so much that Eliashib had a son. The son's name was Joyada, something like that. Jehoiada, not Jehoiada, but Joyada, something like that. And his son, Eliashib's grandson, who probably was acting as a priest, go read the story. Nehemiah literally chases him out of the city. He's like, hey, you're part of this. You're leading in this. Don't come back again. Oh, yeah, Nehemiah, what are you going to do? I'll show you what I'm going to do. That guy going, what, man? And literally it says that he chased him out. I, I think, listen, I think the cause of God meant something to Nehemiah. It meant something so much that after all of that, you know what Nehemiah prays? Hey, God, I want you to see every single thing I did because I did it all for you. Remember me, oh my God, for good. <clears throat> Nehemiah wanted to be known for loving the cause of Christ, the cause of God. And he realized that if the next generation is being attacked, I'm gonna stand up and fight. Why? Not only am I fighting for the next generation, but I'm fighting for the cause of God in the next generation. You see, the kids were not being raised to love God. Can I tell you parents and you grandparents this simple quote? One of the devil's main targets is always the next generation. Mark it down. One of the devil's main targets is always the next generation. He's got a bullseye on your children and on your grandkids. And, and for those of you that would say, well, pastor, we don't have kids or grandkids here. Listen, he's got a bullseye on the teenagers of the day. Um, isn't culture just changing? Man, I was a teenager 20 years ago. And, and it is a total different culture than when I was a teenager. It's a total different culture than when I was a youth pastor 15 years ago. I mean, it's a, it's a completely different culture. And while there are good things with, um, what is it, Brian? Gen Z, and what's the other one? Nope, that's not what I was thinking. What's the new one? They're the next generation right now underneath them. There's, there's in a name? All right, Brian knows. Uh, listen, there are some great things with this Gen Z, and, and then you want to go a millennial above that to millennials, and then Generation X right above that, which would be those born in the late 70s and early 80s. Listen, there's good things about generations coming up and about the young people today. But you know what the devil does? The devil creeps in. And he works through actions like Tobiah slipping into the temple. And you wonder. People wonder sometimes, Pastor, why aren't churches filled with 18 to 25-year-olds? It's because they have a target on their back. 
And it's no wonder that kids raised in church and loving the Lord turn 18 and 19 and go, I don't want anything. And then they turn 27, 28, 29, and 30, and they go, you know, maybe mom and dad, maybe, yeah. Well, why? Because one of the devil's main targets is the next generation. You know what God needs? God needs some people who will stand up and say, I love the next generation, but more importantly, I love the cause of Christ. And I'm going to stand up for him. All right, pastor, when we're doing the boxing match at church, no, 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 no. I'm not Leo's up here like, come on, pastor. I'm about to roll some heads. I'm not talking about getting physical and fighting people. I'm talking about living a life that you can look back and say, God, remember everything I did this week because it was all for you. I went to work this week and I worked the line for your name. This week, I was, a, I was a friend to my neighbor, and I did it for your name. This week, I was respectful in class to my teachers, and I did it all for your name. This week, God, I followed my parents, and I did it for your name. This week, I was a loving husband or a loving wife, even though my spouse did not return that love the way I thought they should. God, this week, I did it all for you. God, I was a single this week, and I followed you with all of my heart. Everything I did this week, God, I did it completely for you. I wonder, where are the Christians who are going to say, God, everything I am doing, I am doing for you? Where are the believers that can say, God, remember me for advancing your cause? Nehemiah, he wanted to be remembered for loving the cause of God, the testimony of God, the, the testimony of God's people. And he was doing everything he was doing. He did it for God. I've, over the last six months, I've just grown, I, I've fallen in love with the book of Nehemiah. There is so much in here. We spent 13 messages Longer than 13 weeks because of guests and some other messages in there. But we spent 13 sermons in Nehemiah. Some of them were two verses. Some of them were 35 verses. One of them was 88 verses. That was a long day. I'm just kidding. But you know, when I look at the story of Nehemiah, I love that he ends with that phrase. Remember me, oh my God, for good. Do you know why Nehemiah was able to pray that? Nehemiah was able to pray that because Nehemiah was living for the audience of one. As I look at this passage today, I discover Nehemiah wanting to be remembered for loving the worship of God, the house of God. He wanted to be remembered for the people of God, loving the people of God. He wanted to be remembered for loving the cause of God. But I hope as we look at this passage today that we too would say, God, I want to be remembered for the same things Nehemiah wanted to be remembered for. But then the question comes in, okay, pastor, what decision, what decision can I make that would help me be remembered for loving the worship of God and the people of God and the, and the house of God and the cause of God? What, what is the one decision that I could make? 
I would say this morning, the one decision that you and I could make that would help us be able to say, God, I invite your memory into my life. God, remember the actions that I've done for you this week. I think the one decision we need to make is we too need to make the decision to live for the audience of one. Live for the audience of one. You see, too often in life, we get concerned about what people think, and we get concerned about what people say, and we get concerned about the onlookers into our life. And while we should care about our testimony before others, we should not be living for others. And what I mean by that is our goal should not be to please them and to please them and to please them and to please them and be acceptable in their sight and acceptable in their sight and make sure I, I don't hinder them and make sure I don't uh, hurt them. My, that shouldn't be my goal. No, 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 no. My goal this week should be, God, I live for you. And you know what God said? Hey, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. God will help you in your life set priorities if you will make him the preeminent one. And this week, I don't know about you, but I want to get to June 6th and be able to look back and say, remember me, oh my God, for good. God, remember what I did this week. But the only way that Dennis Fountain will be able to do that is if Dennis Fountain through this next week says, God, I live for the audience of one. When you look at the book of Nehemiah, while the book of Nehemiah has a wall being built in it, it was not about walls. When you look at the book of Nehemiah, while we've said throughout the entire series that the book of Nehemiah wasn't about walls, it was about people. And while that statement is very true, I want to point out today as we close out the entire series that the book of Nehemiah really probably wasn't even about walls and it wasn't even about people. The book of Nehemiah was all about the audience of one because Nehemiah understood God you're the only thing that matters in this life. And here I am, a cupbearer in Shushan. God, I don't have much to offer. I'm not a contractor. But God, I allow you. One of my friends said it this way. I allow you to interrupt my life for your name. I wonder this morning, can God interrupt your life for his name? I wonder this morning, can, can you look back and say, God, Everything I'm doing, when I go to work and I clock in and I clock out, God, Memorial Day, when, I, when I'm grilling, I know, I know I'm cooking. This may sound silly. I know I'm just cooking some burgers for my family and friends to eat. But God, I want you to know that I'm doing this so that I can encourage somebody and maybe have a conversation that would point somebody to you. God, at the end of the day, I'm a school teacher. I'm a line worker. I'm a police officer. I'm a retiree. I'm someone looking for a job. I'm working the fields. I'm working in the factories. Whatever we're doing. I hope today we'd make the decision to say, God, I want to live for the audience of one. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.